Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. In finishing our, our series on making money moves, uh, our title for, t- uh, or I guess I should say our question for today is, If you look at the screens, have you ever doubted something that you should have done? You ever doubted something you should have done? I feel like we always doubt what we should and shouldn't do. There's some decisions that are, we start off with that are easy, like right and wrong. Like that, those are the best ones, right? (laughs) Like, like, well, this one is obviously bad, but it would feel good. But this one, I probably should do that. And then you start getting decisions where it's not necessarily right or wrong, but just like it's almost like you have to go with the unction of your heart you have to know if you're doing one right thing and if you don't do it it would still be okay but you don't know if you should do it or not and with the title of today's message it's titled you shouldn't have you shouldn't have look at your neighbor and say you shouldn't have you shouldn't have you shouldn't have and we often Talking this last week about making money moves, we often become so mechanical in our thoughts about God and even generosity that we convince ourselves that our intentions are more important than our actions. We're going to look at a person who is one of the most disliked people of the Bible and how we have shockingly more similarities with this person than we would ever like to admit. And that person is Judas. Judas. Since we're on the west side, Hootis. Hootis. And uh, I want to just share, start off by sharing a, a verse. Mark chapter 14, verse 10 through 11. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come and they promised to give him money someone say money Money. so he began looking for an opportunity to betray jesus we're going to be talking about yourself yourself myself yourself and the very first point is this idea of being uh reserving yourself reserving yourself see it's this part of Judas that we often don't realize we identify with is his intellect. Judas is a person that understands Jesus is the right way to go. It's something that he can intellectually and logically see based off of Jesus's miracles, based off of what he says, that it's the right thing to do. And he's, he's such a, Judas is really such a realist. He's a realist and he's a practical thinker. And when I started, when this message started kind of being birthed in my heart, I kind of felt really convicted because I realized that there's sometimes where I've thought the same way that Judas would think. When I would see a spiritual thing going on, I would be the one to think to myself, like, they don't need to do all that. We, we just need to do, like, we just need to do this. We just need to do that. We don't have to get all mushy-gushy. We don't have to get all spiritual like that or super spiritual. That's just a show We need to really just do the basics here. We just need to be practical with our faith. See, Judas 
He often gave logical ideas on, on how to seemingly better situations. We're going to look at two stories in the Bible, but before we do, I'm going to just give you a preface of some of the things that, that's happened with Judas. There's times where a, a, a lady pours out an expensive perfume that was so expensive it could have been sold for a year's wages. And she just poured it over Jesus. And Judas was there, and he got indignant. And he, was think, and he said to everybody there, like, man, we could have sold that and gave it to the poor. There would have been so much better use than to just pour it over Jesus. We would have been able to do more things if it wasn't just this idea of a sacrifice. God wants us to minister to people. He doesn't want us to just do this kind of super spiritual stuff. See, jo Judas was smart. He could see something like, man, that's just weird. How many times have you saw something in church and you're like, that's just weird. We just need, we just need to have a church message. We don't need to get all like that. And here Judas is, uh, is the same way in having logical ideas and trying to make simple situations better. That's why Jesus put him in charge of the treasury. Because he was smart enough to, to manage money. And the Bible says that he started taking some of his own but it's probably because he was trying to give himself a commission. He was probably making more money with the money that they were receiving, and he was just paying himself a commission for it. Of course, he didn't, he didn't acknowledge that this new commission rules, but Jesus put him in charge of the money because he was smart enough to manage it. And hey, I'm, I'm super grateful for, for logical people, right? People that can, that can just do the practical stuff. I myself... I've considered myself a realist oftentimes. But even some of the reasons why, uh, when there's been so many theological studies of why, Jesus, uh, why Judas betrayed Jesus. And one of the ideas is that he was trying to force Jesus' hand to uh, start his kingdom. Because all of the disciples understood that Jesus was the Messiah. That's why they were willing to follow him. Judas wasn't just like this like uh, weird guy that was just like, you know, always in the shadows like, yeah, Jesus, go on. Like, he was there with all the 12 disciples and all the times where Jesus, everybody else deserted Jesus. Hundreds of people that deserted Jesus, Judas stuck by his side. And so he had some, some loyal attributes to where he stuck with Jesus when hundreds and thousands of other people wouldn't. And some people believe that he was trying to force Jesus' hand to start his kingdom. Because they had the idea of Jesus' kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, being an earthly one, not a heavenly one. And so they believe that perhaps when he betrayed Jesus to the Pharisees, he didn't realize that Jesus would be so humble that he wouldn't call upon the angels of heaven like Jesus said he could, that Judas thought, well, he's going to just start this thing. Like, he just needs a little push. And he's probably even thinking that he was helping the person he was following, that he was supporting Jesus as a leader. He's probably just, he's just, he's just shaken up. He's just timid. This will help him to just, like, I'm just helping him put, jump in the water. And then we can get things going. Because it says that once Judas realized that they were taking him all the way to the cross and that Jesus wasn't stopping them, it says that he, he ran to the priests and threw the money at them and said, in, in repentance, saying, this is an innocent man you're taking. He didn't do anything wrong. And they told him, that's your problem. 
He's dying. And he was so remorseful because he didn't expect Jesus to be taken to the cross. Man, isn't that kind of terrifying to think of Judas being a logical person just like us who made a mistake that was irreversible? And one thing that Judas, uh, one attribute about Judas is that he always takes things into his own hands. Again, he, this is a person that's a doer. He's not lazy. Even with his own punishment, because of his guilt, it says that he took his own life after he realized what he did to Jesus. I mean, that's how, that's how regretful he was. And that's how much he just couldn't trust God, even with his own punishment, that he had to give it to himself. Think about that for a second. How many times have you tried to punish yourself for making a mistake? It's scary how much we're like Judas, right? Never really thought of that. And even when it comes, especially when it comes to worship time and energy that was given to God, Judas was a critical person. He's a critical person. I'll be the first one to admit that when I've seen something like, you know, quote unquote spiritual, like people falling over, and, and even the first time I heard someone praying in tongues, I was critical. I was like, man, that's all just a bunch of baloney. That, they're just being extra. They don't need to do all that. We ought to be just going and, and planning a church somewhere. We don't need to spend all this time in prayer here. We don't need to spend all this time in worship. We need to just, they need to have a message so someone can hear the word of God. That's what needs to happen. And being so critical of what I thought should be done as an act of worship to God. And judging other people's decisions and other people's way of worshiping God and trying to impose my own ideas of, as if my way is the only way. Anybody here? Yeah. All of us. That's exactly how Judas was. And see, he was willing to give his ideas, but not himself. And he, has this, he had this level of pride that thought he was so right that he wasn't willing to be humbled to Jesus, that he wasn't willing to let his heart be poured out, that his, his heart wasn't willing to be broken. But he, he understood God. He believed in God, but his heart was still hard. And it, after, after this whole message, what, if you could catch anything as we continue on, it would be for your heart to be softened, my heart to be softened. Because if not... We're going to just be a bunch of Judases in the world. And just like Judas, we'll be able to worship God. We can do great things for God. But in the end, it's not that pleasing sacrifice that he desires. There's moments where we're going to put our own ideas in front of God. We're going to think our ways instead of God's ways. And so instead of reserving yourself, I want you to think about pouring out yourself. Pouring out who you are. To God. And this, this next verse is in John chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. And it says, Six days, remember that for later, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Whose home? Lazarus. All right? The man he had raised from the dead. Grave top. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. 
Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. His feet. Remember that. He anoint, she anointed his feet. With it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. Should have been sold, the money given to the poor. How many times have you thought about what the church should do with money? <laughs> well, they ought to do this with the money. They shouldn't be spending it on this or that. What they, what they should have done, everyone here, right? See, let's, let's take a step away from Judas and let's look at Mary here. One of the, one of the first things that, that we can notice here is that Jesus, in this situation, brought somebody from death to life. See, that's, that's what it should look like when you first put your trust in God. Is that there should be such a change in your heart to where it literally feels like you've been asleep or dead for a long time and all of a sudden you, you feel alive. You should feel a difference in your soul and your heart. Y'all dig what I'm saying? should be a change. And in this part of the story, this, this is the first anointing of Jesus six days before the Passover. And it's, it's after the fact that Jesus brought somebody from death to life. And when Mary goes and pours this uh, and, and anoints his feet with this perfume, she's doing it out of a gratitude. A gratitude. And she's pouring herself out over Jesus. And see, that's what it initially should be like for us when we come into this relationship with Jesus. It should feel like a pouring out of your soul. It, the Bible says in the book of Romans that it's because of God's kindness that, it, that he draws us to repentance. Not out of fear, not out of condemnation, but because he is so kind and full of mercy that he died on the cross for us, that it's that kindness and love that draws us to repentance. It's not preaching at people on the road saying, you're going to go to hell if you don't repent. But it says in the book of Romans, his kindness, the fact that God loves you so much, that that's what draws us to repentance. And see, it's that gratitude of God, that gratitude of the love of God and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that causes us like, man, if you die for me, how could I not live for you? I want to pour my life out to you like an offering. All that I am, I'm going to just pour myself out. If you think about even acts of worship, when you bow down to God, it's like you're pouring yourself out in worship. Even that it's so symbolic. And when it comes to even how, uh, how she's wiping his feet and, and rubbing the perfume in with her hair, think about those two parts. In that culture, and even, some would argue even in today's culture, a woman's hair is like one of the most glorious attributes. It's a beautiful, most glorious attribute. And the Bible even talks about how important even just hair is. Hair is so symbolic for different things in the Bible. When men would take the Nazarite vow, they wouldn't share any, shave any hair on their, uh, on their body. When, uh, when Paul talks to the church of Corinth, uh, women prostitutes would shave their heads to show that they were prostitutes. 
And he, and he would say, it's good for you to have long hair to sh- because it's the glory of a woman in her hair. And it, like, there's so much emphasis on, on how, how unique hair is. And the Bible describes it being the glory of a woman. And here she is rubbing feet. Think about what feet are. The most disgusting part of a body, right? It's where you step on poo. <laughs> you, you, every, every, all the places that you go, it leaves filth on your feet. And she's rubbing the most glorious part of herself to the most detestable part of somebody else. And she's using, it, it's a sign of humility. It's saying, even your feet are more worthy than my best pride. It's a humbling thing to do. But see, that's an act of worship to Jesus. When you, when you decide in your heart that you don't care about your greatest achievement, that you don't care about your greatest glory or pride in comparison to what Jesus has done for you. Because that gratitude is so overflowing that it's like, why, why, how could I hold on to anything in compared to what you've done? That's why Paul says in the book of Colossians that he, he's done everything required of the religious Pharisees, that he's done more things for God than anybody else. And he says, but I count that all as garbage compared to the simplicity of knowing Jesus. That Paul's a, a standout guy, does more things than all of us combined, and he says, all those things I did are garbage and compared to just simply knowing Jesus. See, that's what rubbing your hair on Jesus' feet looks like. It's pouring out of yourself. And I want us to do a heart check. Let's do a heart check, because I, I feel convicted by this. Do, do you really feel like you are satisfied with the amount of heart you've surrendered to Jesus? you really feel like you've poured yourself out in worship to this God that has saved you? Do you feel that that overwhelming gratitude in your, in your soul? Y'all dig what I'm saying? And what, what's another thing that's interesting about this is that she's not ashamed to worship God in unsophisticated ways. Church is the most sophisticated place in our culture today. You go in your best Sunday suit, usually. Not at Gravetop though, right? <laughs> you go in your best Sunday suit, you never wear a tie any other day of the week, but Sunday you're going to wear a tie. You're going to dress up, look super nice, and all of a sudden you're, you're, the way you talk is going to be different too. Like, oh yes, God bless you, brother. Yes, amen, yes. Praise God, yeah. See, we, we like to get so sophisticated at church. We like to be such sophisticated worshipers of God. And here, this lady is so undignified. On her knees, groveling in the dirt, crying over Jesus' feet, rubbing his feet with her hair. What a, what a disgusting image of a person to be like that, is what us church people would think if we were to see that today. If you were to see a homeless person come in here, slobbering all over the, the stage, crying out. No one would be able to get him up if you try to like, hey, sir, can you just get out of the way? Like, no! I have to worship. I have to be here. We would all think he was weird. We would all judge that person. Oh, he's, man, that guy's just being so weird right now. And here this lady is doing it. And Jesus says, 
her act of worship is better than all of y'all's combined. It, we, we've, been so, we've conditioned our worship to be so sophisticated, so routine. So we're, but even with all of the sophistication, it's hard for us to just lift our hands during worship. It's hard for us to just sing out loud during worship. It's hard for us to do the simplicities of acts of worship. And here this woman is pouring everything she is because of gratitude. See, when you, have, when you worship like that, it, others will be critical of the humble and genuine worship that you bring. And there will be plenty of thoughts and opinions of how, of how and what you should have done rather than what you did. I find that people who are not doing things talk the most about people who are doing things. This woman is having an experience of a lifetime with Jesus, and it's all in an act of surrender and worship. Something that was so meaningful to Jesus that he included it in a book that is the most sold uh, and, and published book in all of the world. He said, this story's got to be in the Bible, what this woman did. And here, all these other naysayers are being critical of her act of worship. It's the most important worship to God, and yet everybody else is talking bad about it. See, when you get real with God, when you start really pouring yourself out, everybody around you is going to start thinking you're weird. And they're going to start saying, well, you don't need to do it like that. You don't have to pray like that. You don't have to pray out loud. Just pray to yourself. or You don't have to sing out loud. That's just to you. If you've ever started singing out loud and someone told you, like, hey, like, you can sing to yourself, you just know you're on the right path. <laughs> if you're, if you're, you're just excited about God and you're, you're doing something and people are telling you to quiet down, you're on the right path. You're doing something good. Because it makes religious people uncomfortable when you have genuine and sincere worship going on. And they're always going to have their thoughts of how you should do things. I guarantee you that if, you, if any of you were to give a, a generous amount and an offering to any church, you know what, let's take up an offering right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you were to do a ridiculous, generous offering to a church, if any of your friends or family knew about it, they would scold you, reprimand you, and told you, tell you how foolish you were, how gullible you were. Wow, they really got you. They tricked you. Man, you drank the Kool-Aid, man. I can't believe it. Because it, they all have their thoughts of how it should have been done. Even when we, in our church culture today, you notice that churches eat each other apart. Every church talks so ugly about the other. Especially mega churches, right? Mega churches are so evil. Joel Olstein, what a monster. Those, those, these megachurches are bringing so many people to Christ. I remember I, I, I used to hear some people make fun of a, a church that they would do a big, like a, they would end the year with a very big, generous gift. And they'd promote it like, we're going we're gonna to collect a huge offering and, uh, and it's going to be like our end of the year offering. So get ready and start preparing now and put, pray about it and think about it because it needs to be an over-the-top offering. And there's people that would hear that and they just hear that and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so ridiculous. You don't need to do all that. And they didn't even know that that church offering was going to 100% to a different ministry. 
that the church that was collecting it wasn't receiving any of it. That they were giving 100% of it away. That even cost them money to send it somewhere else. But that they sent every part of it 100% uh, without taking any for themselves. See, that's, that's outrageous generosity. It's where you're, you're, you're trying to, to help other people, not even yourself. And thousands of people like, that church is hypocritical. That church is so, uh, it, they're just all about prosperity. They're all about this. They're all about that. And they're doing more for God than that person could ever do. <laughs> they're bringing more people to Christ than that person. And yet they have a right to feel so critical and have such a negative opinion about them. Genuine and sincere worship. Pouring out, when you're pouring out oneself, when you're pouring out yourself, it releases an anointing that redeems you from where you've been and it, your testings turn into your testimony. And that, that I'm talking about when, how she anointed Jesus' feet. His feet. Feet represent where you've been and where you're going. And Jesus, for Jesus' case, is all that Jesus had already done and all that he was about to do at the cross that was anointed that day. And symbolic for you, when you allow this, this pouring out of yourself, it activates and releases you to, to start walking into the, a different direction. It's like the symbolic of repentance. That's what this first pouring out stage is. It's a moment where you, you just come to Jesus. And all that you've done in your past it doesn't matter anymore because God is taking you somewhere new. Some say pulled out. Hold out. <laughs> you know, I want us to look at the idea of being broken now. Some say breaking. 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 I, I never knew before preparing this message that there is two different women that poured expensive perfume and anointed Jesus. Did you guys know that? There's... There's two different ones. That was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Let's look at this other story in the book of Mark, chapter 14. It says, it was now two days before the Passover. The first time was six days. Now it's two days. This is next level stuff. Y'all ready? And the festival, uh, and it, before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the, fast, the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. See, that's one thing about religious people opposed to spiritual people, is that religious people uh, are always being critical and looking, uh, looking at things that are wrong while everybody else is praising God. While everyone is celebrating all that God has done, they're the people who are like, well, we should have done it this way. This is what needs to happen. And they just can't even praise God for what he's already doing. So, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, not Lazarus, of Simon, a man who had previously, uh, who had, previously had leprosy, meaning that Jesus had healed him from leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made with essence of, of nard. 
And so it doesn't say who this woman is. Some people speculate and think that it may be Mary Magdalene. I guess Mary was just a really popular name back then. But a woman came in, undisclosed, in a place that she was not invited, with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume? They asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. I believe that this woman is someone, this, this story is talking about the sanctification process. See, it's one thing when, when we pour out ourselves to Jesus. And it's another thing when our hearts are broken before Jesus. To where all of a sudden your heart breaks for what breaks him. And this woman, the other one came out of gratitude. This one seems to come in out of desperation. She comes in out of desperation. She goes to a place where she already knows she's not wanted. So all these other uh, religious leaders are there. They always talk trash about her anyway. But she goes humbly to a place that she knows that she wasn't wanted in the first place, a place that she knew that they were going to just talk about her anyway. And it says that she breaks open this alabaster jar. You know, I imagine, you know, y'all like to use your imagination, right? I like my imagination. I just imagine this woman just like frantically, desperately coming in the room, crying all over the place. And she's trying to open the, this perfume and she just can't open it fast enough. And so she's so just desperate because she feels like God told her, you need to go anoint the, the son of God. This is your chance. You're nobody to everybody else, but I want to use you for one of the most important tasks on this earth. And she just knows that she's just trying to be obedient to God. And she's crying and thinking, man, God, uh, who am I that you would tell me to do this? this is, I, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I just know I should do this. I need to do this. She's trying to open this jar and she can't get it open. She just breaks it and starts pouring it over Jesus' head, just sobbing as it pours. She's having this amazing emotional experience with God while everybody else is just, who does she think she is? Oh my gosh, who let her in here? What does she do? She doesn't know how to be truly spiritual. That should have been sold and given in the church offering basket. She doesn't know what she's doing. Whoa, what a moron. She needs to go to church more often. She should have been there last Wednesday. That's what she should have been. We talked just about this. While they're all scolding her, she's having an experience with God that nobody could steal from her. And it... It just shows that how religious rules and bigotry is in our own churches, in Christianity, within ourselves. You know, most Christians are not bigots of the world. Most Christians are bigots of our own selves. Most Christians are totally accepting of the world. Like, oh yeah, like, you know, whatever is good for you. I don't want to impose my faith on you. Like, if that's what you believe in, great. Like, it's, most Christians don't even have a backbone for their own faith. But when it comes to within the church, all of a sudden they want to be all tough and talk trash about their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's when they're ready to, to hold their ground. 
What, what have we turned into? Here this woman is breaking herself and she has irritated the religious people around her with her irrational worship. It, your irrational worship irritates people. It irritates people. But when you're willing to be irrational that you don't care because you are so overwhelmed that God would use you, I'll be as rational and indignant as I want, as I possibly can be, because I care about God more than I care about you. And these, these people are so concerned with the processes instead of the purpose. They trade the power of God for religious games. They trade the power of God for religious games. And I'll be the first to admit that I would be the first one to say, yeah, I, I hate religious games. I hate that kind of stuff. I hate the show. And I'll be the first one to admit that I unknowingly, just out of routine, fallen into religious games. It's where a service like this is like, oh, well, it's another Sunday service. You know, the moment that you start trying to get through church instead of experience something at church is the moment that we're slipping into those religious games. It, it should be a, a moving experience at church. It should be a, a moment where you are hungry and looking for any ounce that you could get out of God today. But we slip so easily into just another routine, another religious game. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And... The brokenness of oneself before God releases anointing that's poured over Jesus' head. And it releases an anointing that inspires you with vision. It shows you where you're going. It shows you your next assignment. These, it, it's so easy to look at these two different stories and think that they're the same. But the truth is, is that you can look at it as coincidental, but I see it as God so divine and using ordinary people, even, even worse, people that others would ridicule. People that, that were considered nobodies and even less. And God assigned them specific tasks that was so similar and so unique that you could see it almost as the same story. But that God was willing to use these ordinary people that were willing and had softened hearts over all the hundreds of people that thought they knew what they were doing, like Judas. And these two women were given an assignment. They were given vision. And that's what happens when we go from pouring that, that perfume over the feet to pouring it over his head and brokenness, is all of a sudden God starts to give you vision. All of a sudden you start to hear him a lot more clear. And you've always been wondering, like, God, just tell me what I need to do. Like, I want to do something for you. Well, tell me what I need to do. It requires a brokenness in our hearts. And once we get that brokenness, then it becomes a lot easier to hear that assignment. Go talk to that person. You need to reach out and do this. You need to start doing this. You need to create this kind of ministry. You need to go, go get these kinds of people. And you start hearing it clearer and clearer because you've poured out yourself and broke yourself and poured him yourself out over Jesus over his head and what's what's amazing about this both of these stories is that it says the perfume it that filled the whole room see your acts of worship changes the atmosphere for everybody else 
And whether they get indignant of, of how potent the smell is of your worship, where all, all, or all of a sudden someone else is like, man, I should have been breaking my stuff a long time ago. And it inspires others. It changes others in the room. And I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And this is, this is a real moving moment. This is a, a serious moment. A spiritual moment. And if you're here and you realize that you need to go through the first step of pouring yourself out over Jesus. You need to pour yourself out. You need to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. You need to make the first step showing that gratitude and putting your trust in Him. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. So if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer after me because pouring yourself out starts with something so simple, and that's the decision. And Jesus shows us in the Word in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He rose from the dead, that surely you shall be saved, that surely you'll initiate this experience, this relationship. And so if you've already given your life to Christ as well, I want you to pray this prayer too as a reaffirmation of your faith, along with those of you who rose your hand. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to pour myself out. Less of me, more of you. Move in my heart. Soften my heart. Break my heart. I put my trust in you because you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.